Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, we'll talk with Mitch Light. We will reanalyze the Vanderbilt basketball roster and talk some baseball at the end. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt gets a very significant basketball pickup this week. He is Shane Dezoni, the former Arizona commit. He is the number 81 player in the Rivals basketball class of 2021. So he will be joining the Commodores next year and play immediately. He and basically the basketball roster will be topics in today's show. Mitch appears on our guest line. That's presented by my friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. I've slept on Bowling Branch sheets for years. You've heard me rave about them. And frankly, it's just because they're so comfortable. Every night is a good night's sleep. The sheets, they get more comfortable with every time you wash them. They are 100% organic cotton. They are rain-fed. Bowl and branch sheets are just one of those things that you have to try for yourself. You can hear me talk about them, but you can't feel them until you try them. Well, here's how you try them. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY. You'll get $50 off your first set of sheets. You'll have 30 days to try them. If you don't like them, you can send them back. But trust me, you're not going to want to send them back because your sleep is going to get so much better. Try Bowling Branch Sheets today, and you can thank me for that later. Mitch Light joins us from The Athletic. Mitch joins us just about every week. And Mitch, we have talked baseball on the podcast earlier in the week and some football. Now we've got some basketball news, which uh, kind of seems commonplace anymore with the transfer portal and, and the extra eligibility and all the craziness. There's always news. Vanderbilt gets some this week with the, I guess, the commitment of, of the Dazoni kid from Arizona who was let out of a scholarship at Arizona. Uh, the number 81 player in the class, that is Shane Dazoni, in the Rivals class this year, he is now going to be a Commodore as uh, the roster shakeup continues. But that right now, in terms of star ranking, the highest profile recruit that Jerry Stackhouse has brought in and one certainly that fills a need for them, I believe, because he is a, a shooting wing. Yeah, and I think the roster's at 13 now, scholarship players. So, you're not, I mean, with like you said, Chris, with the – the, the transfer portal and, and everything that goes on in college basketball? Or is it a 12 now? 12 is what I have. So 12 um, would make sense leaving Pippen, the, the opportunity for Pippen to return. So Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm not counting Pippen, so he would be 13. And yeah. Braley Albert um, is on the roster and plays, but of course he's a walk-on. Yeah, and he was – I actually did a story on Braley for the Athletic uh, last year when he kind of emerged out of nowhere, and, and I think – he was on scholarship for maybe a semester, two seasons ago, but with the understanding that you know that a lot of teams do that. You know, if there's a, if there's a scholarship open, you you can have that scholarship for a semester here and there. Um, who was the uh, not to digress? Who was the kid from Lexington, Kentucky? Jordan Smart was that his name? Yes. 
under Kevin Sawings, I think he was a similar thing. Like I think at times he was a scholarship player and at times he wasn't. So I think that's, um, that's Brayley Albert situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, bottom line is anytime, you know, uh, Vanderbilt, right. Any, basically any juncture of Vanderbilt history can, can get a kid of Dizoni's ranking and, and profile. You, you take him whether or not it's a huge position of need. Um, and, yeah, I listened to, I've done a little reading on him. Yeah, I knew the name just because I followed things close enough, but I actually saw a clip of um, um, the old Arizona coach who got fired, drawing a blank. Sean Miller. Yeah, Sean Miller, uh, not Archie. A guy gave a scouting report after he signed. In bio accounts, he's a very good defensive player, a willing defender, I guess we should say. You never know once a kid gets to college, but a tough kid. Um, if the size is right, six four, that's decent size. Um, I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he has a reputation for being a prolific shooter, but not a bad shooter. Yeah, he's. I guess he's more of a off the bounce two guard is a better way to put it. Um, but yeah. I mean, he's he's a big he's a big kid. I guess bigger guards have an easier time getting their shot off. So I think there's some projectability in there. Is maybe a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and um, if he just if he plays as well as the last Shane to sign with Vanderbilt, I think all the Commodore fans would be very happy. Although he spells his name wrong, he actually has an E, unlike Shane Foster. But uh, right, yeah, I mean, you know, he 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 slots in. You know, I think there's just so much uncertainty with this roster. I mean, there's across the one through thirteen. I don't know, Chris. Would you say? I mean, I'm not going to say it's more talented, obviously, because you lose the star power. The, the bottom of the roster is more talented probably than the than the first two Jerry Stackhouse years, obviously lacking the star power at the top. Um, that That's clear. Um, now, the, the question is, who, does anyone take a jump? I mean, we, we talked all offseason or talked before the season. I think we both thought Scottie Pippen was a surprise as a freshman. And if you asked me at this point last year, I'd say, yeah, he's a good player who could maybe – increases average from 10 points to 12, 13 points. I was quite frankly, very surprised when he was named preseason all SEC by the coaches. Imagine that Chris, the coaches knew more about things than I did. Um, so, so obviously a lot of coaches saw something in him and, and the, 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 no one really saw the, the Dylan DeSue jump either, which really didn't happen until the second half of the season. Um, so does anyone have, a, the talent to make those jumps, and B, do they make those jumps? That's going to be kind of what Vanderbilt will need um, heading into the season or or next season. Yeah, I don't know if the bottom of the roster is more talented or not. Probably, I, I guess, but the middle of the roster is, and that's really yeah, that's, where they needed – I mean, I, I say is we don't know. We've never seen right. these kids in a Vanderbilt uniform. We don't know how they mesh. But based on recruiting rankings, you would presume that. Um, and, and it's odd because <laughs> last year I was like, well, they got two building blocks and, and that's, that's great. Right. But it's, it's three down. You've got like, again, I'll say this again, Jordan Wright to me is a guy who's a sixth or seventh man and good in that role, but he doesn't need to be your number three scorer. That's what they needed to address. Well, now they address that, but they lose the main two guys. So it, it is just really hard to take stock of, of kind of where they are and, and whether this is an improvement, whether it's a step back or what. I mean, I, I think long-term it's an improvement because you could argue maybe they want to have sue or Pippen after next year anyway. I, I don't know. And you needed to get younger, talented players in the program. They did that. But in terms of 
getting my arms around what they are next year, that's where it gets tough. Just because there's, there's, I mean, your, your most known commodity on the team is Jordan Wright, I guess. Right. Right. And, you know, I'm just thinking, obviously I'm not at Athlon Sports anymore. I don't do predictions and stuff. And I'm glad I don't have to do project predictions because there are going to be so many teams just, just in the SEC that are in Vanderbilt's predicament. You know, they have so much, so much transition. The roster's, turning over so much and you can't and you kind of made the point you don't know how kids are going to mesh you can look at a, a just a random program out there that loses three transfers and three come in maybe they upgraded from a talent standpoint but those kids have never played together they haven't played in this coach's system and i'm not necessarily talking about vanderbilt but it can apply to vanderbilt so it's just going to be very difficult to kind of get your as you said get your arms around like how good teams are going to be next year um or you know going forward i i, I don't know not to get all philosophical, I think we'll probably see a slow, I, I think for a year or two, there's going to be tons of transfers. And I think it might slow down a little bit after that. Um, but, but who knows the, the kid I'm interested in is, is Taryn Frank, you know, the TCU transfer, cause you might know more about this than, than me too, but didn't really play at TCU, but I think he had COVID. So I think he really was one of those for, for a lot of teams and players, you can kind of give him a mulligan, but I think that's the case w w with Frank that he really didn't have an opportunity from a health standpoint um to play so if he's a guy that after being a year in college and, and he's healthy uh i'd be interested to see what he can do a bunch of things here um you know you, you talk about the portal and i think there's almost 1600 players that, that are in or have been in it now so that that's a weird thing the the immediate eligibility the other thing that is kind of funny i was doing my sec podcast with blake lovell and you hear the term COVID freshman sometime, meaning that a guy is second year, but he got that extra year uh, based on a season not counting. So now he's a freshman. Uh, you now have a, I guess, a COVID graduating senior or, or, or a COVID graduate transfer, I guess. Uh, a few places. Yeah. yeah, Justin Kyer leaving Georgia yesterday. He came to Georgia as a graduate transfer right. and now hitting the transfer portal. So just all kinds of weird stuff going on um, with with all these layers of things that have never happened before. And um, again, I just don't think college kids in general were really unhappy last year just because of the quarantines and stuff and life wasn't normal. And sometimes Sometimes you're unhappy and you don't know where to pin it. And, you know, okay, well, it must be this place, so I'm taking off. Um, but I digress. Um, you know, the mesh thing, I wanted to bring up one other thing with that. Like, would you say that Nolan Kressler, Kressler meshed when he transferred to Vanderbilt a few years back? Well, it's interesting because he sat out a year. That's yeah. And then he was kind of a disappointment. And then his by his third year, he had he would he was a very solid rotation player. Um, so I don't know if it's just you, you can't the, even when guys sit out, they still need that year of acclimation to play. Um, you know, I think Yanni Wetzel was the case. By the time his second, you know, the last third of his his junior year at Vanderbilt, I looked like he finally caught up to the speed. I've said this a lot, caught up to the speed of the game. So. Certain guys take more time um, to, 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 to acclimate, I guess. And both of those guys you mentioned transfer. Well, you mentioned one. I mentioned one transferred up a level. Uh, Nolan Kressler from the Ivy League and then and Wetzel from Division Two. So certain transfers don't need to necessarily catch up to the speed of the game. And I think maybe those two guys did. Yeah. And you 
kind of hit around the edges of the point I was trying to make, which is that I, I think ultimately he did, right? Yes. But but he sat out a year, and then his first year playing, which was his second year on campus, you know, he was kind of, a I think, a disappointment, most people would say. I think they thought they would get more out of him. I think, if I remember correctly, he was a really good practice player, but it just didn't translate. So there's a timeline, envelop, a timeline element involved, too, in terms of when it clicks for a player. Yeah, and some of that, you know, might not have messed with Kevin Stallings. That was towards the end of – that was last year Stallings' career and uh, Stallings' tenure at Vanderbilt. And, yeah, I think there was a lot of, you know, as his – that year specifically, some some player unrest. So maybe he got caught up in that and just a, a new a new uh, coaching staff came in. I just think it's very difficult for us on the outside to just – to to – to really say how long it's going to take a guy to to get acclimated with his new team and new coaching staff and all that, but nowadays they're not going to have that year off. It's going to be the thrown right right to the right into it. So I think another key to this team is is going to be uh, Tyron Lawrence. His recovery, by all accounts, he was you know showed a lot in practice in the off season, but just kept getting hurt. And I think the timing of his ACL injury obviously wasn't great. That you know it was what in December, so. Will he be ready to play um, by preseason? You know, I guess everyone recovers differently, but I think uh, if he's healthy, I think he he could be. He's kind of an unknown. I think most people are just kind of forgotten about him, um, but but he could be, and I think we'll have to be a key guy this year. I'm looking at Taron Frank's stat line from this year's game log. A better way to put it, he had an odd season because. He played 120 minutes, but 70 of them came in four Big 12 games between February the 9th and the 23rd, where he played 21 minutes against Iowa State, 26 against Texas, 13 against Kansas State, and then 20 against West Virginia. He then plays five games, totaling 28 minutes the rest of the way. Um, So you mentioned COVID. I don't know what else was going on there. I mean... Stat line, not bad. He was not a big scorer. His high would have been, let's see, eight points twice against Iowa State and Texas. Uh, in terms of rebounding, he d- didn't do a whole lot there for a Ford, but pulled a few. Uh, foul trouble didn't appear to be an issue, so I don't know how you assess his career. Sounded like uh, maybe some TCU fans weren't thrilled to see him leaving. Yeah, I don't think this was a case where it's like, you know, you, like the coaching staff was like, you need, you need to go find somewhere else where you're going to play. Um, I, I don't think that was the case at all. Um, he he kind of might, might have been sort of that case you mentioned earlier, a freshman who had some COVID issues. Um, it was a difficult year for everyone and just kind of looking for a fresh start. I think that was the case w- w- with a lot of people, that, with a lot of kids there. So uh, I would expect... Yeah, you know, who knows what to get from him from a production standpoint, from just from a positional standpoint, though, I think he's probably going to have to play significant minutes. This season of the podcast presented by my friend Jody Jones, DDS, you can find him at 55 Music Square East in Nashville. Jody's a former Commodore football player. He's a Vanderbilt football booster. And if you need cosmetic or general dentistry services, go find Jody. Tell him you heard about it. His business on the podcast, talk some Commodore sports with him. Jody's offices are like nothing you've ever seen from a dentist. It is truly a spy-like atmosphere. That is a reason why movie stars, artists, athletes, coaches all make Jody Jones their dentist of choice. 
Go by and see him today again at 55 Music Square East. Tell him you heard about his show on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thank him for his support because he is the guy who made this season possible. All right, I want to go down the depth chart. or I wouldn't even say it's a depth chart. I would say it's where I've slotted players because I don't know who starts and who doesn't. But it appears to me they have four point guards. Rodney Chapman, the transfer from Dayton, I would think would be their starter there. He was the starting point guard, I believe, on that elite Dayton team two years ago. I think played hurt last year, and his numbers suffered a little bit. Uh, so behind more of a point than a shooting guard or combo guard, or you know, that's that's today? what I thought. That's okay. what I thought. Now, now when he when he came in, I think there was more thought about Pippen coming back, and so we were thinking, well, is he a combo guard? Is he a is he a point? And I think if Pippen does come back, which I don't think anybody really thinks he will at this point, um, th- that I talked to, that, that could change, but. I would presume now, assuming Pippen's not coming back, he's your point. You got Tyron Lawrence. We really don't know what he is. We got Peyton Daniels. We really don't know what he is because he's a freshman. And we've got Trey Thomas, who who did some things at times, uh, could score a little bit. He's a little small and slight and probably not the defensive guy you want, but there's some things there to work with. So that's their situation. As I see it, they've got – four point guards or maybe four guys who are either point guards or combo guards who could play the point. Uh, wings, they've got DeZoni, Daniels, uh, Frank, Studi, and Wright. The way that I see it, those guys are all shooting guards slash small forwards, maybe more small forward than shooting guard, but I don't know that it matters Yeah, these days. I And see, that's where you would presume Wright gets the jump and, and probably starts. Uh, but how those other guys battle it out, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, you know, not to sound like a coach here, but like, I don't think positions matters as much as we think they do. Um, no, you know, but, but just to respond, I, you, you try to put guys in categories well, and, and mine now it's like, are, are you a point or are you a wing point, or are you a big? That's what, that, yeah, yeah. that's my point. Like you need, you need point guards for the most part. You need wings and you need big guys. Uh, there's basically three positions. In fact, um, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's convenient to have point guard, shooting guard, small forward, you know, power forward, but you know, that's just really not the way basketball is played nowadays. So I, I, to your point, like you can, you can go small and can they go small? If, if Liam Robbins is, is capable of playing 30 minutes a game at center. Yeah, that helps. You can go small, you can go real small the rest of the way. But if, if he's not, if he's not in the lineup and you know, there's just so many different, that's the thing with this roster. You just look at it and there's just, it's so hard to separate guys. Cause we don't know much about them cause we haven't seen them. There's going to be so many possibilities. And, and one thing that, you know, I, it, it got shortened because of injuries and just because the, it typically happens. But we saw early in the year, this stack was with the rotation. It was just all over the place, you know, certain, and a lot of it was with health and things we didn't know about, but um, certain games, certain guys would play a lot of minutes and they wouldn't play the next. Like on the, I'm looking at the roster right now. It's like, good luck trying to figure out an eight or nine man rotation with that. We just don't know right now because we haven't seen him play. I know I'm rambling, but it's just, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this thing plays out. Well, here's another driver for things, Mitch. I'm looking at, at posts 
And they've got Liam Robbins, Quentin Malore Brown, and Akeem Otisipe. Now, Robbins is really good, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's a shot blocker. He's, he's exactly a piece that they needed. I think that, like, if you had said, among right. all the guys at the transfer market, who's a guy that fits their needs really well? I think Robbins would have been on that short list of any player anywhere. So, great get for them. Quentin Malore Brown, Brown was just not the player, I think, that he'd been talked up. Um, some, some people saw some different things there with him a year ago. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced he's an SEC big at this point, but we'll see. Uh, I've, I've said it many times. I you can throw this back in my face if I'm wrong. I'm not saying he'll be a, you know, a starting quality, but I've, I've not given up on him. I, I, I'm giving him another year to and get caught up to the speed of the game type, type thing. And, and I think he can be a, a valuable reserve big man. Yeah, I was going to say, let's split the difference and say yeah. we, we can agree that he might be able to give them 10 or 15 useful minutes, uh, which yeah. has value. Um, yeah. and, and if you get more out of it, then great, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't – Akimos Otisipe, I just don't see that working anytime soon. Uh, I don't think he's big enough. Um, I, I just – Give him that. He, he – Yeah. He was an effort guy when he got out there. Yeah, I mean, th there might be a, a James Siakam path to success one day where he's a an undersized post with a big motor and undeveloped skills. And, you know, just being in a program for four or five years, you never know. But for next year, I, I yeah. don't think he's a guy you count on. So what I'm thinking is you're probably going to see Studio Wright playing quote-unquote, the four, or somebody like that next year, because I just don't think that they've got... And, of course, it, it, it's this way a lot of places, right? Um, but I, I don't think they're going to have two traditional bigs that they can trot out there. I mean, you, you might say Malora Brown and Robbins could do that, but then don't you, do, you don't have anybody coming off the bench, so I think you've got to stagger those guys. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, think of, you know I don't think many programs not are they not capable of. They don't want to do that. You know, I think... Nowadays, you you don't want two bigs unless one of them is clearly a stretch four who doesn't clog up the lane. I mean, it's the, the days of the traditional power forward and the five guy around the basket are pretty much done. Yeah, but uh, I will argue the other side a little bit. Don't you always need a couple of rim protectors? I mean, ideally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think. Not many teams have more than one on the floor at the same time, though. No, no, you're, and, and you're probably right about and And look, a rim protector these days can be Eves Pons or somebody like that, right, where he's six 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 seven, and some of those guys can do the job, too. Now, that's not the case on their roster, uh, but, but you do see it. Yes. I mean, we say that's not the case. Who knows what some of these kids are, but I, I don't know that... Um, I don't know if anybody on this team's coming in with a shot blocking reputation. Frank blocked two at TCU last year in 120 minutes. I would say no there. Uh, I, I guess a better it's a luxury if you have it. I look at Mississippi State last year; they had a couple of guys who maybe could do that, but um, may, maybe not a prerequisite. I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, it's I, you know I, I I'll say with sending out Liam Robbins as your starting center, you're not going to say protecting the rim is a weakness for this team next year. No, I mean, didn't he lead the Big Ten in blocks? Yeah, it was like two high twos, maybe two seven a game or something like that. Yeah, right? it was enough. <laughs> so there's, there's a big, that, that's a big jump right there. Gosh, man, if, if they just got either he or Pippen back, DeSue or Pippen back, this, the roster would have looked a lot different. Yep, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, that's, that's just the, it's, it's, it's the world 
you know, not specific to Vanderbilt. It's hurt Vanderbilt a lot, the losing the, the two best players. But, uh, I mean, you know, Georgia got – didn't Georgia get destroyed by the transfer portal? Oh, yeah. Georgia's just getting – I don't know how Tom Crean survives next year because they're yeah. just not going to have players, I don't think. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's going to be – I mean, not to go too big picture, but it's just – it really alters the way schools are going to view their coaches. And – um. You could argue in one way that it's easier to rebuild in college basketball because you can bring guys in, but it's also harder if you can't get any momentum, if you keep losing your guys, if your rebuild isn't going fast enough and guys don't want to stay. So it's, it's, I think it's easier to go from really solid to really good than it is to go from, you know, bottom of the league to middle of the league. I mean, maybe I'm just oversimplifying things, but it's just, it's it's hard to get that momentum if you keep losing guys. You know, and this is total speculation, but the thing that I would love to see is like, I would, I'd love to be on the other side of a fly on the wall of some of these coaching offices to see what really goes on. Because you have carte blanche on transferring now. I mean, anybody can come and go at any time with no penalty. The NCAA is com- almost completely toothless um, in mm-hmm. terms of being able to penalize teams. And, and you just have to wonder how those two factors work together to what really happened in some of these recruitments or alleged tamperings or wherever you want to go in terms of roster movement. Yep, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's just uh, – it's – it's like the, the world we live in, and there's really no slowing it down. It's so difficult, like you said, toothless, but it's so difficult to enforce even if they tried to enforce it. Right, right. Well, anything else on hoops before we browse baseball for just a minute? Uh, no, just uh, it, intrigued. That's the, I keep saying that word, interested and intrigued by the way things uh, th- things shake up next year. And I, I think this is the case with every program, but um, – a, a solid off season will really help because for, you know, if it, it's clear that Jerry Stackhouse has been able to develop guys and guys have gotten better. So you, you'd like to think with the, with the full summer with this roster that that will help certain guys maybe take a step forward. Well, one final thing I'm, I'm looking at this and gosh, who, who knows if keeping players is even realistic anymore. Right. But, but if you do, you've at least got something on paper that, that you can identify what the plan is, which I would not have said was the case a year ago, uh, because the hole in their roster is going to be big man next year after Robbins leaves, and they will address that in Dorton in the next class. So yeah. you I, can, I, saw, yeah. I thought I saw somewhere where Robbins has two years of eligibility, not that he would oh. 100%. Well, I guess, I guess technically they all do, right? I mean, or well... Yeah, may, I'm looking. I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, technically they all do because he could be a free. You know, this is a free, but he's already transferred. Um, sorry, he so he start eighteen, nineteen, nineteen. He's he's played three years. I mean, I guess if you get five, sure, right? Yeah, I, I don't think that's I, I don't. I don't. It doesn't. That doesn't sound right to me. Yeah. But I. But I don't know. Unless he's coming in. Yeah, unless he takes this as a free year, but that's not, you know, this past year's a free year. So I, I I think I've read a lot about him. I think that was one place I saw it, and I kind of caught me off guard because I didn't expect. But, but as you mentioned, they do have Dort coming in after that. Well, I think at that point, unless he wants to get, 
I don't know where he is in his academic progress, but unless he wants to get a master's degree, which is hard to do there. I mean, Liam Robbins is going to be good enough where he can go get paid to play somewhere. Right. Yes. So, baseball, your thoughts on where they are heading into the Alabama series. I wrote something about this in the 3-2-1 yesterday. I really think you know, a lot of focus right now on the fact that they've lost three in a row and they've struggled. But as I've said all along, this is the place in the schedule you could pinpoint. If you had to say where are they going to struggle in their season, I would have said it's right here. Because Florida and Gainesville is always tricky. Louisville at Louisville is a rivalry game. The Cards had a little something to play for with that, uh, given the way things went the last time they met. You got exams, which I think are just ending probably today. Uh, or sometime this week, you may know better than I do. But it was a lot of factors, and you throw in some injuries that they've had to pitching. Like, I, I think instead of looking at this as they're slumping and, oh, my goodness, it's time to hit the panic button, I think the fans should look at it and say, look, you look at what they just accomplished right up to that. They hadn't had a three-game losing streak since 2018. Given the injuries and the way they restocked, that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, there's – obviously different ways to look at everything. And, you know, had it before the Louisville game, they had three, and I don't care what Florida's ranking was. And I know they lost last night. That's a top five roster. You know, they had three series against top five, top 10 teams, two on the road went five and four. I think any program in college baseball would, would, would take that. I mean, I think people get spoiled by the success, especially early in the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the 2019 team didn't have any real hiccups, but most of, I guess they did, didn't, you know, lost that. They uh, lost series to A&M in Georgia, but they never lost three games in a row. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that can be a little fluky. You know, you win this, you win the Friday, then you lose Saturday, Sunday. I'm not, you know, it's more like losing three out of four, but whatever, that doesn't matter. Um, lost my train of thought there. So, um, it's just, I hate the, it's just, it's just baseball, but it is just baseball. We, I mean, the national championship team was seven and eight coming back from Knoxville in the SEC. Um, you'd like to see him continue to have consistent success there, but it's just, it's not going to be the smooth ride. First of all, like you mentioned all those factors and it's not surprising that the hiccup came at this time of year, but um, I know I did not, I had some work things going on. Um, I did not see, by any stretch, every pitch of the Louisville game. I had it on in my home office, but I was on a call. I thought it was encouraging um, that Little, I thought, pitched well. Now, there's the little things in, like the 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 Dominic Keegan play at first. I mean, that's part of the equation. That's part of the reason they're struggling, because they're not making plays like that. But I, I thought Little, after having some not-so-great midweek performances against inferior opponents after a really strong start, I thought he pitched really well um against Louisville and was that was a good sign I thought they hit the ball hard that one inning in the seventh or eighth inning they hit the ball to, to the warning track twice I think one was almost a three-run home run so I'm just saying sure they lost that game 7-2 but that wasn't really that all that discouraging to me did you interpret the Louisville game like that at all yes and no uh that's one that could have flipped easily because they missed two home runs by what a combined two feet um, they left the bases loaded in the ninth. Louisville left two guys on base. Vandy left nine on base. So I, I thought the 7-2 score was kind of misleading. 
Now, having said that, I, I think that with Little, the stuff is obviously there, right? It is the the pitchability, the, the handling mentally of things, and that's yeah. been an issue for him all year. Um, he was his own worst enemy with, with the pickoff throw that went into center and a balk and just, uh, you know, he gets in these things where he will give up a walk and a hard hit in a row, and it's it's being able to spread those things out. It seems like things often snowball for him in a hurry, and sometimes you can kind of point the finger at him with, with the mental mistakes, again, with the, the error and the stuff like that. So I think the potential is there, but he's like a lot of freshmen, well, and not like in another way that he's just younger. Sometimes those kids with talent just have trouble putting it together that first year because they've never been challenged like this. They never had to pitch out of trouble. If they get in trouble, they can just sit there and blow three fastballs past the next guy they can face because nobody can hit him. Now that's not the case. He can't just do that. If you know a fastball's coming and you're sitting on it and you're a team that's got a Benelis or a Henry Davis, you can hit that. So I, I think, yes, in the sense of everything you said, but my but would be the fact that with Christian Little, it's it's the knowing how to pitch and working through those situations element that keeps popping up, uh, which is why he's not had more success. Yeah, and you would expect those things to come with maturity. I'm just kind of talking from uh, anecdotally, just from giving up hard contact. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, oh. From from a stuff standpoint, you watch him and say, okay, that that kid has got a decent shot to be a Friday night ace uh, next year or the year after. And so, from that standpoint, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's you know, you, we're we're doing this Friday morning, and we'll we'll see how they play this weekend. Uh, the schedule softens up. I know Alabama's had some good wins um, in the SEC. They've got some injuries, obviously, as well, too. So, um, but you, you you keep making the point that Vanderbilt's put itself in such strong position with the play up until now that it it can afford it can afford this the, the few hiccups here. Do you ever go to WarrenNolan.com and look at the RPI resume? Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. Uh, it's a very. I like that because it's a very navigable site. It's uh, it's very easy to bounce around. Well, not not just that, but it updates quickly. Yeah. And you can go and you can check baseball RPI. There's a feature under it that says RPI team sheets, and you can view everybody's at once. You can just scroll down, and they in Arkansas are way out in front of everybody. I think in terms of resume at the top. So, uh, if anybody's panicking about their postseason. And where they go, and will they host or be a national seed? I, I would tell you, barring something very unusual, you don't need to, because I just cannot see them playing on the road at any point until Omaha. It, it, unless, again, unless there's a major collapse between now and then, which I suspect is not going to happen, given that exams are done and the schedule eases up. Yep, totally agree. And I, I make this point all the time in this podcast. I think college baseball fans, it's – there's just it's not like college football, college basketball, where typical typically people are more knowledgeable about the sport in general and, and can put kind of put their teams do not all fans do this, but do a better job putting their teams the right frame of reference nationally. Uh, it's harder to do in baseball. We just uh, it's there's not as much information out there. There's not as many games are on and all that sometimes. So you always have to keep in mind, like comparing your team to what other teams are doing. And, and as you mentioned, there, there there's maybe one resume that's better than Vanderbilt's right now. Well, well, there is, uh, and it's Arkansas, but but outside that, uh, and, and it's frankly not that close. Um, 
Not, not, well, I mean, it's not like Arkansas is lapping, but it's clearly a better resume. But I, I don't think that you can find somebody behind Vanderbilt who I think right now has a better resume in terms of who it has beaten. Yep, agree. Okay, Mitch, any final thoughts as we end the show? Uh, and if not, of course, tell folks where to find your fine work at The Athletic. Uh, no more parting thoughts. Um, I'll keep those to myself. No, just kidding. Um, it's uh, at Athlon Mitch. I I do that about once every four shows, right? Athlon you you Mitch. do. You do. Well, yeah, at, at Mitch Light <laughs> there. And, um, yeah, so, you know, if you didn't see it, Joe Rexroad had his uh, Vanderbilt preview. Um, I wrote it last year. Joe wrote it this year. We call him State of the Program. We've got him every – if you want to get caught up in college football, uh, there's a new team every day from – we started about two weeks ago through end of June – um, we roll those out every day. I think Tennessee's was yesterday because I know everyone listening to this podcast wants to read all about Tennessee. So, uh, no, just check all that stuff out at The Athletic. Yeah, I did see it. It was very good. Well, Mitch, thanks for joining us. And uh, next week we'll have two weeks to go in the baseball season, and it is really starting to get fun. And so I look forward to catching up about that. All right, Chris. Take care, bud. Thank you, Mitch. All right, he's Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vanity Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We will be back with more episodes next week.